Hello, this is your host, Ryan Reed. You're listening to Reminisce, the Empowered Podcast, where we educate, innovate, and empower through truth. Today, we have with us the dynamic Quanisha Green, who is the founder of Black Women CEO, and we will be discussing the silent killers of Black women's leadership and success. So, Quanisha, can you just share with us a little bit about what motivated you to start your organization? Sure. Well, first, I just want to say thank you for letting me come to speak to your listeners. I really appreciate uh, the invitation and opportunity, so thank you, Ryan. You're welcome. Yeah. Oh, great, great. I was like, is she going to say anything? (laughs) But, yeah, so this will be fun, everyone. I'm all, even though this is a heavy topic, I'm all about, like, hardness and, you know, making fun of ourselves a little bit. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, I came up with this work. Um, now it's almost ew, seven years ago. I was a senior administrator in a statewide nonprofit organization. Uh, I had the job created for me, and then two years later, I had another job created for me as the co-executive director of the organization. And as I was, you know, one in a leadership position, I was actually the director of community and leadership development, so training um, community members, um, my background in social justice, to learn how to tell their stories, right, and be leaders in their community mm-hmm. of advocacy. And as I started to move up, I would have a number of black women, particularly, come to me and say, how did you do it? How did you do it? And it made me start to, you know, it was so many, right, that I was like, hmm, this is interesting. And then I had older black women telling me, Quanisha, do not give your, your total self over to these organizations, right? These are other women mm. who had nonprofit or governmental jobs. Um, so also like those social change kind of jobs, right, Ryan? And mm-hmm. they were telling me how they had cancer or high blood pressure and all these different things or, you know, they were booted out because of a misunderstanding. And they were like, go start your own itch. I won't curse on your podcast. <laughs> That's how they basically said it. Like, go start uh-huh. your own thing. Be in control. Right? Be in control. And so because these unique experiences were happening, I was like, you know what? I want to study this. So at the time, I was doing a master's in social work in, in macro, so community policy, um, community practice policy and advocacy, excuse me, and also doing a certificate in organizational behavior and leadership at Brimar College, right, the Graduate School of Social mm-hmm. Work and Social Research. And so I started to examine, and it also became my master thesis, like what are the unique experiences of black women when it comes to leadership uh, in our education, right? And, and I found mm-hmm. that there were so many things that influenced that, right? Uh, and so mm-hmm. I just kind of decided, like, I'm going to focus on the black lady. <laughs> and mm-hmm. one, helping women, one was examining my life to see what works for me. And I know we'll talk about some of that. And then also just seeing, you know, aside from the research, what were some of the actual experiences that black women were having, right? And so when I talk about black women too, Ryan, I'm not talking about it as a monolith, right? We're not a monolith. <laughs> we are a highly diverse group, right, right. Um, even in that. And also I'm not just talking about African-American women either, right? Because I've worked with women in the UK, different countries of Africa who also have um, resonated with what I talk about um, as I founded Black Women CEO. And, uh, and I also want to acknowledge that there are macro issues, right? There's bias, racism, right. sexism that influences but today when we talk about the silent killers i'm actually talking about the inner things that we internalize mm-hmm. that can also with sometimes is rooted in that social experience right the cultural experience the familial experience mm-hmm. the historical 
experiences and our own lived experiences, right? But then it's how we internalize it, how we um, develop our sense of self, which sometimes can be unhealthy because of these messages that we got in the micro, right, in society, and then how mm-hmm. we started to form this idea of who we are. So by having those experiences in my work environment, starting to do the research and then starting to pilot my work with actually, um, you know, doing coaching. I'm also a certified uh, master in corporate life coach. So doing coaching with black women around their leadership and then moving into entrepreneurship because I had black women who were leaders saying, hey, can you do the same work with me? I have all these barriers coming up and I'm not implementing, right? It was many women who were in the same mastermind I was in. I was in the business mastermind. And so I started to tweak my work to focus on entrepreneurs, right? And I'll I'll talk Mm -hmm. about the modality of the work that we do because it influences um, the barriers. And so that's how Black Women CEO was born. It actually started as the Black Women Rise movement. Um, So really using the digital space to give black women the coaching and mentorship that's often missing for us, that also plays a crucial factor in us moving up, right, in careers. And then it was like, how do we provide that to entrepreneurs, right? There's that same mentorship gap, skill gap, but then also this idea of how we tending to the sense of self so that you actually feel confident, right? You have this belief that you can actually go out there, start a profitable business, own your expertise. Um, so that's what we do at Black Women CEO. It, it really has become a global hub where we provide culturally relevant training and business coaching for highly educated and talented Black women who are ready to get known and paid well for their expertise. Mm-hmm. That's some powerful work. And um, thank you for your dedication over the past seven years to make sure that you're creating these um, communities where people of color, women of color can um, get the emotional support that they need as well as the practical skills to rise in whatever industry they choose. Um, so what are a few of the silent killers that you personally have encountered in your career and how did you cope with those? Yeah, so I definitely have experienced all the silent killers that I'm going to talk about that I actually found were also common barriers. So once again, this is influenced by Research And then also you can say the qualitative experiences I found serving thousands of black women um, through our paid as well as our free programs over the last, you know, five years that I've been, uh, you know, first piloting and then coming into this as a full-time business owner. And so one of the first barriers, and you may, I don't know if you've had this experience, but claiming your expertise, actually mm. saying I'm an expert, mm-hmm. right? So for the listeners, how would you finish a sentence, I'm an expert in? Right now, when I've done this activity (laughs) and I've done this with folks who are doctors, like having MDs, right, as well as doctoral MDs, the PhDs, um, lawyers, uh, women who are making six figures in their jobs, people who have been in business over 20 years and they had a hard time completing the sentence. Um, Often issues come up around not wanting to be arrogant, not wanting to brag, Right. And and just thinking, like, what am I really an expert in? Because often we have this image of what an expert is. And often it's a white male, right, with like a gray beard. (laughs) When Mm -hmm. we think of expertise and we put these qualifiers on it, like, oh, I have to have 25 years. I have to have written a book. Right. Um, And it's really a self-perception. Right. So even I was in a program where I started to actually this issue of expertise came up with the op-ed project. I was doing their right, to change the world, because their research found that when you think about, like, op-ed pieces, um, people who are showing up as expertise on, like, national media, it's majority men, 
right? And it's mm-hmm. a majority mm-hmm. of white men. So women in general and then people of color underrepresented. And I was literally sitting around a table with women who were, in, you know, Ivy League students, you know, running national organizations, <clears throat> and they couldn't do yes. it either. Right. There was so I was in that room and it just made me think like what am I expert in? And and I and they drilled it down and I do this with my clients too to say, Okay, if there was ten of us in the room, <laughs> what would you know more than everyone else, right? In the room. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I started to hone in, particularly on the leadership piece. Um, and I've always been mentoring people. So, you know, we have to start seeing that some of this expert status is self-perception like Northwestern researchers at Northwestern University found that in general uh, and you know they did the topic of digital literacy that men are more likely than women to share their work be it writing photos videos online but when they control for self-supported digital literacy the gender gap disappeared right so the Mm. researchers concluded that the disparity was a result of self-perceived skill levels so it really Mm. Ryan is all in our head (laughs) <laughs> right, right. And, women um, and black women, right, because we talk about black women, we're thinking ourselves out of public importance, out of public mm-hmm, importance. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, there's bias, of course, right, that can stop us from moving up. And we're underrepresented in corporate and political leadership and even formal leadership positions. But it's also, I find that women often think, I need more. I need to have more credentials, more education, more skills. And it's like, no, you actually have enough. <laughs> right, right, um, but yeah, it's our own perception. Mm-hmm. So, and one that segues into why our mindset matters. So, as you can see, our mindset matters so much to actually moving up and um, moving into places of uh, leadership and success. And once again, you know, success is self-defined. We all have various definitions of that. But so it's silent because it's our mindset, right? It's so much of our mindset, and I can talk more about that. Um, but, yeah, so that's one of the first common barriers is this aspect of claiming expert status. Mm-hmm. That's something that I've also observed when I speak with people about um, their resumes. I help with resume reviews, and I recently spoke to someone who has a Ph.D., and she wanted a higher position um, but then when I presented her with the role that she is qualified for, she was like, oh, no, I can't do that because I'm missing this one thing right here. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, you might not have had that title, but you are definitely someone who has the skill set and you have communicated this to me previously. So I know that you're definitely qualified for the role. So the mindset that we bring to the table does impact Um, the risk that we take um, when we're trying to grow in our Mm -hmm. careers. Yes, yes, definitely. And there's some research that shows that, um, and I probably won't get the percentages exactly right right now, but that men often will apply for a position maybe having like 70% 70 of the qualifications, right? But women, we won't apply unless you have about 100% of the Mm -hmm. skills and qualifications listed. Right. Yeah. So you can even see, once again, it's this self-perceived skill level, um, like you said, that impacts our risk. And when we think about risk, it's also a matter of confidence, mm-hmm. right? Because even if you don't have all the skills, are you confident enough to say, well, I will learn that? Or here's how I can transfer my skills and blah, 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 blah to fulfill that requirement, right? right. So it also comes to a confidence level, too. Mm-hmm. And, we're, and we're so amazing, you know, 
just like you were saying when you were in a room with like all those women, like really look around, like we are powerful individuals and then we're even more powerful as a community. So, um, so how did you cope with the mindset issues that you were going through in building um, black women CEO as well as advancing in the other industries? Yeah, I'm happy to share that. Um, you know, one thing to, to what you just said, I often tell people I get paid really well to help women to remember who they are, mm. <laughs> to remember who they are at their core. And so a lot of what I do is infuse cognitive behavioral perspectives. And some of you may have heard it as cognitive behavioral therapy and psychology, which is a mm-hmm. well-researched and proven method that essentially says that our thoughts, impact our feelings and our emotions. Our feelings and our emotions impact our behaviors and actions. And then ultimately those behaviors and actions impact, I mean, kind of reveal itself as the the life that we have, right? The results. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the results Mm -hmm. we see in our life, right? If you're not liking them, then we have to backtrack and get to the thoughts, right? And so some of the thoughts that come up too around this uh, kind of are rooted in the four common barriers I like to say are perfectionism, uh, comparison, mm-hmm. I call it comparisonitis. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. It's like an illness, comparisonitis, fear, and then overwhelm. So a lot of what I have to personally do and then what I teach my clients is starting to get at the thoughts related to this, um, debunk them, right? We have to understand it, name it, and claim it, right, before we can change it. And so it's helping mm-hmm. them to understand and give them words to what they're experiencing, um, helping them understand, like, for example, perfectionism, what it is, and then what's the antidote to that. And I'm happy to, of course, share these things today um, with, for, each, for each one of those. But that's kind of what I had to do, and I, and I still do it, right? I would say mindset mm-hmm. is not something you master once because you may say I mastered perfectionism and it may have showed up a certain way, but now 10 years later it may show up a different way for me, right? Or I might right, regret right. a little bit if I don't keep doing mm-hmm. my, if I haven't been doing my mindset work, if I didn't sleep well. Right, so it's something that we have mm-hmm. to constantly tend to. It's not a one and done mm-hmm. kind of situation. Yeah, thank you for definitely bringing that fact up. That it's a process. Um, that is, it's a consistent journey that you're on, and making sure that you're addressing the insecurities that we have and the our overall mindset that we have about the work that we do. Because I think many times. Um, in that process, we stop before we get started because mm-hmm. of those mindsets that we come with. So Yes, yes. That's yeah, important. and so I don't know, would you like me to talk about each one of those so that people, your listeners can start naming yeah, and claiming yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, you can, yeah, you can talk about um, one or two. Um, and I think, could you focus on the the comparing part and then also – um, not feeling like you're good enough to go to the next step. Okay, sure, sure. Um, so mm-hmm. the not good enough perfectionism is one of the best ones to talk about. Then when we think about the, I call it not good enoughness, that comes up, right? So perfectionism, I essentially say, is a myth, right? It's rooted in this idea, once again, that we're not good enough. Whether it's pretty enough, smart enough, <laughs> um, I don't know, tall enough, right, have long hair enough, all these good enoughness and, and this different variation in which it shows up. And then we can think about the cultural and social root of this for black women. And, Ryan, you can tell me if you heard this. I know it was told to me that you have to be twice as good, right, as the next person. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest who this next person is. is usually a white male um, in order mm-hmm. to get the same. 
Right. Have you heard mm-hmm. of that? Mm-hmm. Right. Definitely. And so that's rooted. So if someone's telling me, telling you you have to be twice as good, really it's still rooted in this idea that you are not good enough. Mm-hmm. Right. You are not good enough who you are. And we know there's a societal influence of that, right? Um, because society is seeing black women as less than, right? Inferior. Mm-hmm. So like we have to be doubly as good just to see, be seen as a human being. Right. And as belonging mm-hmm. there. But think about once again, that internal message is you're not good enough. Right. We all, we almost have a constant assault on us. So by being perfect. Right. And we're rewarded for that. Right. Uh, we kind of get stuck in this perfectionism that we have to be perfect to succeed or to have a business. Right. Or to get to that next level. And I love this quote by Maya Angelou because the antidote to perfectionism is actually being okay with being perfectly imperfect and practicing imperfect action, particularly for entrepreneurs, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because there's no perfect that you're going to get to to have success. A lot of it is trial and error, right? And even with leadership, mm-hmm. it's, you know, going for that promotion, seeing what happened, right? Doing the networking that you need to do, seeing what happens. And how you show up in one space may not be how you need to show up in another space, right? So being okay right. with being perfectly imperfect. And I love this quote by Maya Angelou where she says, you alone are enough. You have nothing to prove to anybody. You alone are enough. You have nothing to prove to anybody. And so this idea of being perfectly imperfect is sometimes asking yourself, you know, oh, did I do my best? Right. And knowing that our best will change from day to day or even asking yourself, is this good enough? Right. And that's mm-hmm. very different than perfectionism, particularly it starts to be, are you operating from a place of mm-hmm. versus being perfect thinking, okay, I have to check off every single check mark um, in that. And then even with perfectionism, you may even want to start questioning whose standards are you trying to rise to? Mm-hmm. Right. Whose standards? Mm-hmm. You know, is it your mom's standards? Is it what, you know, uh, your professor told you this is what you need to do to get X, Y, Z? And also owning that this is your life, right? <laughs> and that you can set mm-hmm. the standards for yourself. And then once again, sometimes even the standards we set for ourselves can be, it's not so much that it's high, but it still kind of triggers that perfectionism. And so we do have to kind of like even be mindful of that. But once again, going back to you know, I'm okay with being perfectly imperfect. Like, I often have typos in my writing. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm like, I'm, but I'm like, I read it 10 times. That's not good enough. But it's more important for me to get this out there to serve, right, the world mm-hmm. and transform mm-hmm. lives. And the people who are meant for me will know that if I forgot, I don't know, a preposition. And one time they'll email me too, like, hey, Quinny, should love you. This sentence needs to be correct. And I'm like, okay, thank you. Right? But I know. Right, right. And internalize. you move on. <laughs> right? I, I fix it and move on. Mm-hmm. Versus thinking like, oh, my gosh, I can't, you know, get this out until, like, I read it 20 times and I get an editor. And it's like all that time you could have written, I don't know, three thought pieces, gotten it out and got a client. Right? <laughs> so that's the, mm-hmm. the thing with perfectionism. It's rooted in the myth that you're not good enough. And an antidote is to understand who you are, that you're perfectly imperfect, right, and taking imperfect actions. Mm-hmm. Um, as someone um, who is a Christian and, and reads the Bible, I always think about the time where Adam and Eve realized that they were naked. And, you know, mm-hmm. when they were telling God, like, I'm naked. And God said, who told you that? Like, mm-hmm. like where did you get this idea that you were this thing? So, you know, I always think about, like, where is my 
um, perception of self coming from because of that question that, you know, God was asking Adam and Eve after they were, you know, unclean and and full of sin. So Mm -hmm. I think that's really important to have a, a, a quality perception of self. For me, for the creator, what God says I am um, when I walk into spaces. And, yes, I might, you know, come with typos and maybe um, I might be tired one day. And when I'm in front of people and I'm not, I don't have as much energy as I usually would, but I'm still out there doing it. And then also um, at the same time being okay with canceling things if Mm -hmm. It it doesn't feel good to me, and I might mm-hmm. need some extra rest. Um, and not taking that to meaning that I'm less than because of that fact. So right, you're that's human. What I mean. <laughs> yeah, You're not robots, right? <laughs> Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love you touched on that piece of sense of self, and that's actually a good segue into the comparison or comparisonitis, as I like to say it. Um, you know, the research, and I was doing all this research around black women, I kind of showed that we could have an unhealthy sense of self. And once again, it's that historical, the cultural, sometimes those familial things, and even our own lived experiences, right, that start to influence that. For example, I had a client who... Uh, she has a PhD, and she was having a hard time sharing her thought leadership. And then when we kind of got to the root of the thought, it was rooted in this experience that she had where her professor told her she couldn't write. Mind you, this woman mm. had written a book by now, uh, you know, her <laughs> right, you know, right, right, all these things. Mm-hmm. But she wouldn't write like a 500-word piece because that thought was being triggered, right? It was almost a traumatic mm. experience, you could say, right? It was getting triggered, mm-hmm. and we had to work through that. And, um, you know, almost heal a part of her identity, right, her sense of self, so that she could start to get out there. Now this is a woman who uh, now is 13 months into starting her business, and she has attracted multiple 5K, 25K contracts for that same thought leadership, right? And, and so that sense of self is so important. And so the comparison, I say it's the death of creativity, right? We are, mm-hmm. once again, it's like that perfectionism, too. We're looking to this other standard, right, and comparing ourselves against it. And it, it can show up in different ways because, one, you start thinking, once again, I'm not good enough. Or you might think, who am I, right? Who am I to talk about wellness? Who am I to talk about entrepreneurship? Who am I to apply to be this keynote, right? <laughs> or who am I to stand mm-hmm. on the stage? Right, and it's like, well, why not you? That's why I say. Um, right. But as you can see, that's still rooted in an identity issue. And so for me, the antidote to comparisonitis is actually that standing in your work, right, owning your genius and standing powerfully in who you are and remembering who you are. So often I have to remind my clients, it's like, well, tell me about the time you were successful. Tell me about the time you overcame the odds. Tell me about a time when you felt fearful, but you did it anyway, right? And they start to remember these experiences that have influenced their success that they've had to that point, right? And, mm-hmm. and also remembering their successes, and then it helps them to have that confidence, or you could say tap into that confidence that allows them to do, in my case, on, you know, their business-related tasks. But this still works for leadership, right? Because when, when I started out, like I said, it was Black Women Leadership. I had a client mm-hmm. who was the executive director of a statewide organization, and she wanted to really get clear on her purpose, and it came to that she wanted to be a pastor, right? And, but she started to have mm-hmm. this fear and hesitancy, once again, in applying to um, theological schools. 
And then long story short, she um, ultimately went on to Princeton. She graduated last year. But we had to work through so much of that sense of self, right, and the confidence. Mm -hmm. And once again, you're the woman who you may be looking at from the outside saying, like, oh, she has to have a good look. She's an executive Mm -hmm. director of a statewide organization. But knowing that we all have internal stuff, right, and that sense of self can, you know, different experiences or when you move into, you know, the unknown, can get triggered, right? And then once again, if we're comparing ourselves to other people, not even knowing what their internal stuff that they're dealing with is, it it creates this false standard or narrative, right? So that comparison is really starting to see your worth, acknowledging it and standing in it, right? And knowing that those same skills that got you there can get you there. And also understanding that it's your journey, right? Ryan, your journey is going to look like my journey. Mm -hmm. And being okay mm-hmm. with that, right? And it's not mm-hmm. to say that we can't be motivated, right, or have uh, aspirations or inspirations. Like, I, right now I have Lisa Nichols and Oprah on my wall with the title that says She Reigns, right? Those are my inspirations for business. But I'm right. not sitting here every day like, oh, my God, I'm not Lisa Nichols yet. I'm not Oprah. And right, therefore right. I can't get up and write, you know, my email to my client, <laughs> like, or to my, my uh, you know, my mm-hmm. email list or something. Right, but I yeah. can be and, and honestly, you know, I don't want to be them. I'm me, and I was created to be great within my own right. Yes, yes. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what that comparison is, is just tapping into yourself um, and not, once again, especially with the whole, uh, you know, the rise of social media, particularly, you know, the Instagram and the Facebook, people are kind of showing you the success reel the happy mm-hmm. real of their lives. And it's like, well, I want to go to the Caribbean. Why am I not traveling to Greece? And it's like, okay, well, that's nice. But this person probably didn't also tell you that maybe they're suffering from depression and four days out of the week, mm-hmm. they're crying themselves to sleep. But this one time they went to Greece, right? You're now putting this person on a pedestal, right? And not saying everybody lies unhappy, but, you know, we all have aspects of unhappiness or maybe areas where we're like, hey, that's a weakness I want to develop. But nobody's necessarily putting down on social media, right? Right. So we're once again Mm -hmm. comparing ourselves to these false narratives, right, of other people's lives. And that also can um, impact in your creativity, right, how you show up and how you do the work that you're meant to do. Mm Mm-hmm. And a lot, um, a lot of part of the work that I do is also making sure that we're building community around mm-hmm. um, supporting one another. So um, I had an opportunity to speak with a senior in high school named Kara, um, and she has an aspiration to open her own business related to the cosmetology industry one day. And she mentioned mm-hmm. to me that black women are treated differently when it comes to applying and obtaining bank loans for business centers. And she wanted to know, like, why are black women not taken seriously? And how can we overcome this specifically related to how we get funding for our ventures? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm happy to speak to that. You know, the there is a disparity. She's absolutely right, right, um, in mm-hmm. funding for black women-owned businesses. And this is also disparity just for women-owned businesses in general, right? And some of that, once again, is rooted in bias, racism, sexism. Uh, you know, there's, a, there's some research on venture capital or even venture capitalists and how they will ask women different questions than men, 
right? Uh, so that's definitely there. And then for black women, once again, there's all this historical part of the, you know, racism, all these other things. Um, and also, you can think about numbers. How many of us are actually applying for those opportunities, right? Once again, mm-hmm. rooted in this um, self-perception. Because there's even research that shows that, um, I think it was Walker's Legacy that did some research that, you know, some of this, aspect of funding was exacerbated by one, a lack of information, these misconceptions about the funding process that is lengthy, that is about having the right seat at the table, right? So once again, that goes to some of these belief systems that's stopping people from even applying, right, or pursuing funding. Um, so one, so that those are some of the influences right there. So some of the internal, but as well as the external things that impact uh, black women getting funding. But the other solution to this is that there's lots of avenues of non-traditional funding. So, you know, one of the key recommendations I make for African women in business is to seek non-traditional funding sources, such as crowdfunding, that might provide, like, you know, more equitable access to debt and equity capital and actually have um, a creative financing, uh, we call infographic, that actually shows seven creative, non-traditional, right, financing strategies that black women can use, right, thinking outside of the traditional route. And so just to name some, one is, like, once again, seeking crowdfunding. Another one could be actually starting to save ahead of time. Like Lisa Nichols talked about how she established a good dream fund. So even when she was a social service worker, she started to send a certain amount of her paycheck, right, to a bank account that grew over time, right, which that allowed her to have the capital to start her business. Uh, It may be evaluating your priorities, right? Are you spending a lot of money on getting your hair done and, you know, taking these trips? Could that money be redirected to starting your business? Piloting your work and getting paid to create, right? There's other ways to have people buy into your work before you even create it, which you can use to fund it. Right. Um, And then once again, crowdfunding. Right. There's also uh, some of the studies show that uh, African-American women lack a diverse network. Right. To necessarily maximize the approach of crowdfunding. So it may be putting yourself in environments where you actually have a wider network and a diverse network so that you can consider avenues like crowdfunding. Um, Also, there's agencies that also help smaller businesses pursue funding. And so some of that is also knowing the qualifications. Like many of them want you to have over a 640 credit score. Uh, some of them want you to have revenue at least 3200 or more coming in before they can extend you a line of credit and funding. So there are a lot of opportunities, right? And for some businesses, you're not going to even want to start out necessarily with a venture capital. But so it's becoming right, informed right. and knowing that there's lots of avenues to raise capital but to help you fund your venture. So I always say maximize what's out there and the opportunities and and get creative, right? Because my whole thing is how can we be proactive contributors to our success Um, and not let bias, right, get in our way all the time. And one thing I know about us black ladies, right, we're Mm -hmm. fighters, right? We almost had to be, right? Mm -hmm. And so I would say even in funding and business, how do we continue to do that and not let, these stories, right, or even the fact that black women-owned businesses in the United States average $28,000 a year, it's like you can still beat the odds, and that's what I help women do in black women's CEO. I'm like, let me give you the two strategies, the confidence, the clarity, and courage you need to beat the odds, right? Mm-hmm. So I hope uh, that helps uh, the high school student who is going to one day own an awesome, right, beauty yes. and cosmetology company and a cosmetic yeah. company as well as everyone else who's listening. Mm, 
Mm-hmm. Yes, um, Kyra, sorry, I said your name wrong um, earlier. Kyra, thank you for asking that question. And as Quenisha shared, you know, we're here supporting you as other black females as you grow and your industry and, you know, you, since I know you, you have a dynamic personality as well, and I know you're going to do great things. So thanks for sharing your question um, for Quanisha. How can I just yeah. highlight really fast the thing that you said that you said it throughout, and I meant to speak to it, is that the research also shows that community is a protective factor for black women. So that's why I always have community aspects to all our work. <laughs> um, and one of the mm-hmm. main aspects of our work is the IA network. We're in community. We're providing this coaching and training to black women and then they can support one another. So I think also as, so that mentorship gap, that coaching gap um, that can even happen in informal spaces is uh, nurtured in community, right? So mm-hmm. I would say find yourself a community, right, of women who are like-minded in the sense that they are trying to get to where you want to go, right? Or they're women who are already there and start building those relationships, right? Start joining communities. Like when I started uh, Black Women Rise, that's Black Women CEO, I joined a mastermind and I was in a group with 20 other women who were looking to grow their businesses. So community is such an important factor and we're leverage, we leverage it in different ways, but particularly in your career and business, there are associations and networks that are dedicated to also providing women with the skills, the soft skills and the hard skills, different things, right, to um, move up in leadership, right? And even some of them might be your sponsor, right? They may help you to get mm-hmm. to that next week's leadership by advocating for you. So, you know, we really have to start to leverage our network, build our network, um, and place ourselves in places that are going to help us to get where we want to go. All right. Uh, Quanisha, thank you um, for sharing such great content with us and um, helping us change our mindsets moving forward um, within our industry. And then for the last question is related to the idea of community and collaboration. So how can we as women collaborate um, in a more effective manner in order to support one another within our entrepreneurial journeys? And if you could just list one to two ways that we can do that. Sure, I'm happy to to discuss that. You know, uh, one key way, I know you just said, how can you collaborate, is the one uh, prioritize collaboration. Uh, you know, often, whether in the workplace or in entrepreneurship, we often see other women as competition, right, or businesses. So, you know, if there's someone in your office, you know, you may be, oh, we're both going for that position, so, you know, we can't maybe collaborate or help one another, Right. Or uh, businesses, you know, like if Ryan and I was in the same industry, I might see you as my competition, so I'm not going to even try to reach out to you or, or collaborate. So it is moving from that shift of even seeing people as competition to collaboration. And one way to understand this, and this is more of like a paradigm shift, is to understand that what is meant for you is meant for you right, Mm -hmm. whether it's clients or opportunities, and that there will be people attracted to Ryan because of how you show up, how you talk about things, even if it's the same topic, and there will be people and opportunities, right, who will resonate with me because of how I show up, how I, my worldview, and how I talk about the topic. So, Mm -hmm. one, we shouldn't be afraid. And do it to me, I always say, do it on a bigger scale. You know, often we may give 
you know, if you and I went to the coffee shop, I may give you some tips. But if you wrote that down and posted it as a LinkedIn article, right, or on a blog and you shared it via social media or you even started an email list, think about the impact that you would be having by sharing your success strategies and your tips that would help someone else. So collaboration doesn't always have to be that direct you know, one-to-one or in person, it could be, you know, you seeing yourself collaborating with the world, right, or everyone who you want to serve by sharing your thought leadership. You know, one of the first things I did when I started the Black Women Rise movement was create a guide. It was called the Black Women Rise Leadership Guide, where I shared non-effective leadership resources by and for black women because people kept coming to me and asking me, Panisha, what are your resources? What are you doing? And the first year, 3,000 women downloaded that guide, Ryan. And if I had kept that all to myself, (laughs) right, I wouldn't have impacted that many women. So, and this Mm -hmm. goes back to that owning your expertise, standing in it, and then being okay to shine, right, being okay Mm -hmm. to shine. So those are the two, uh, I think, most important things, you know, seeing collaboration versus competition, right, and then starting to share what has worked with you with other people, right? So that's another way to serve, right, and then mm-hmm. also help to provide mentorship and coaching uh, to folks who can benefit, right, from uh, what you've learned and what you've experienced on your journey. Mm-hmm. And I think um, it's also important to give other women the credit um, because I think that edifies other individuals in their mm-hmm. growth process, so then they could be better for themselves and also for the community. So, um, yes, yes, thank that you. Is so important. Thank you so much, Kwanisha, for being a guest on Reminisce the Empower podcast. Your dialogue on the silent killers of Black women's leadership and success have truly been paramount into our growth. Because I think it goes back to another Maya Angelou quote, which is, nothing will work unless you do. So your dialogue around us doing the work internally can make us better for the work that we do in the community, which is fantastic. And it's the voice that we need to hear to move forward in the work that we were we do when we know that there are definitely many external barriers that we might not always be able to control right away, but we can control the internal struggles that we go through. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity and being able to connect with your audience on the topic. And, you know, you're so right. The external things can take a while to change, right? And as a, you know, as a mm-hmm. social worker, as someone with the social justice, yes, we have to change those macro issues. But just as detrimental, right, can be the internal barriers. I call that the silent killers, right, that, that mm-hmm. we face that impact how we um, advance, right, in our careers as well as in business. So thank you for giving me the opportunity uh, to talk with your audience about this. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And I just want to um, end the way that you started when you were talking about um, Maya Angelou's quote. And for all the listeners, remember that Quanisha reminds us through the words of Maya Angelou that you alone are enough. You have nothing to prove to anybody. You alone are enough. You have nothing to prove to anybody.